I really sense what God has on my heart to share with you this morning is going to stir something up. And so I have a lot to say, but are you ready? Yes. Okay. Right. So awesome. (laughs) How many of you would like your shadow to heal someone like Peter did? Okay, you guys are in good form. Right, just for a moment. Um, I didn't expect so many of you to be on fire, and so actually I'm going to skip my little barbecue story. Uh, we'll just skip to the next one. I was going to talk about barbecue. How many of you had a barbecue this year? Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, can I just say, anyway, we'll, we'll go on it, that I find uh, those little disposable barbecues the most offensive thing ever. As a South African, it's just like, what? Um, this is what I see as a South African barbecue, good logs and a steak. And uh, we went camping last weekend in the rain, and my awesome husband, Steve, got a little barbecue going without any flint. Hat off to you. We had a proper British barbecue with an umbrella, sausages, and patties. But what I want to focus on is that log fire. Can you put that image on to me, that log fire before? We're going to talk about this. I want you to keep that image in mind. And I'm going to read from uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 2. I haven't got it on the screen. And I want you to hear it as though Paul is writing this to you as a Timothy. What I really sense is what God has started in our hearts this morning. He wants to follow through. Because Paul is writing straight into Timothy's situation, which is a little bit like our world. I'm going to read it to you. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to know that we have life in us. I am writing to you, Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. Who needs a good load of that? Amen. Timothy, I thank God for you. You guys are awesome. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And I long to see you again, for I remember the tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother, Louise, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that very same strong faith is in you. That is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift that I gave you, that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given me or given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God give you, be ready to suffer for me for the sake of the good news. And this is the good news. For God saved us and called us to a life of holiness. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Jesus Christ. And now he made all of this plain to us by the appearance of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death. And he illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. This is powerful stuff. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. Hold on to this pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped 
by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard this precious truth that has been entrusted to you. When we were worshiping this morning, Christ alone, cornerstone on nothing else, I I rely on his righteousness. This is what we were singing about. This is what Paul was reminding Timothy of. In a world where he so happened, his call was to be leading a church. I don't know what your call is, but wherever you are, whether you're a mom or in your workplace, that is your call. And we are facing teachers who, as Timothy was, with being hypocritical and believing in false things. And he was Paul was writing to Timothy and saying, be strong in your testimony. I know you live in a world where people believe things that are wrong and people are abandoning their faith. Stay strong. And the very first thing that Paul touches on to Timothy, this whole letter that he writes, is his personal relationship with God. He first of all reminds him of what Jesus did for him. In the scripture that I read, you would hear, he He saved us to a life of holiness. You know, he he brought new life. He conquered death. He brought immortality. That is the very thing, first thing, that Paul reminds Timothy of. And so that, to me, says that's important. And then the second thing he says is fan into flame. What to do with it and who to do it with. Who to do it with, that gift that he said, that's the Holy Spirit. And I think we are facing this in our world, and we know this morning we can sense the power of God, and we, we know there is life in God, but we need more. In this world, I don't know, like if you see what's going on in the news, or you might be challenged at work, we need some fire in our bones to fight for this world and the people, and we need to be equipped. So I'm going to touch on our relationship with God. And so often we can skip over the fact that, oh, we have new life in Christ. And I don't actually think we know what that means. We will know through experience and our testimony. But I love doctrine. And I'm going to give you a little bit of doctrine. Now, you've got to bear with me because this is a mouthful, right? Each of these headings is an hour's teaching. But I, I just, I tremble in my spirit when I hear this. When I, when I was studying this this week, I brought myself to tears before God. I was like, this is awesome. So are you ready to know God's mercy? His mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. But his grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And this is what he did. First of all, you and I, are sinners. Our spirit is like ash. Sin is an infection. It killed our spirit. We are dead to God. Like God is fire and he is life. And there is nothing in my soul that can sustain a fire to commune with God. Sin is an infection. Get to the next slide. We can't commune with God. God is fire, but there's nothing in me. Sin has made me like ash. Do we get that? We, we live in a world where everything is trying to make us come alive, but the very thing that we are missing is relationship with God. Sin is an infection. It brings sickness and all awful things. It brought evil into this world. It makes everything in this world ashy. Like you would be and I, before we met Christ, we were like ashy zombies. <laughs> thought they get you going. But then Jesus. Now do you realize, I know we, we often, if you're a Christian, you'll know that Jesus died on the cross to bring us salvation. 
But actually what Jesus had to do first and foremost was to pay the price. He chose to pay the price for our sins and sickness and our, all that we could have ever done wrong. God, first of all, because he is a God of justice, required the penalty to be paid for sin. And that very penalty is death. Jesus chose to come and die instead of you and I. He had to come. He chose to come. He lived a life of pure and holiness. He died on the cross, a brutal death, to first of all atone for our sin and to just satisfy the wrath of God. See, God is the center of our universe, not you and I. He loves us, and therefore he secured salvation for us. But first of all, God is a God who is just. And so Jesus had to die an awful death. The very thing that he hated, the very thing that he couldn't stand, he took on himself. I don't think we realize how much the suffering that Jesus went through for you and I, that was awful, to be rejected by his very father on that cross instead of I and you. That is mercy. We should have died, but Jesus went instead. That means God gave us what we didn't deserve. But then the most amazing thing is when Jesus resurrected, he set up a new lifeline, a new covenant. And so he made a way for us. But God gives us a choice. And he gave us his word. But how will we know to choose if we don't know what to choose? And so we have the word of God, our Bible. Do you know that that word of God is living and alive and that it is powerful? I mean, I'd like to say that when I read my Bible, the letters glow. But when I read it, it it engages with my spirit. It challenges me. It is alive. So much so that when someone who is not a Christian hears the word of God, there is a miraculous divine spark that happens in their ashy spirit that God makes them alive and he gives them the faith to believe. That is the grace of God who said, I know you're dead and you don't know how to choose, but I will touch you and make you alive and give you the ability to even reject me if you wanted to. That is love. To say, my child, I will make you like a matchstick. And I will, I will make you with a, a little bit, you know, the match, it flints and it sparks. Oh, go back one. <laughs> there we go. It sparks. When, when God's word and his Holy Spirit, it sparks life in me. It's like a match that just lights and suddenly I feel alive. I'm like, this, this is what it is. I'm, and suddenly I'm enabled to know, oh my gosh, this is why I need God. And then we repent. See, that faith, God gives us, gift is, faith, salvation is a gift from God. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, even the ability to choose God. Because he gives us that faith like a match head. He sparks life in us enable to, so that we are enabled to, in, to choose him if we want it. So we go from ashes to beauty. But we've got to repent. See, the moment I realize God is alive, I can't carry on living the way, the life that I used to. 
I can't live an ashy life anymore. There is no life in that. And therefore, I have to repent. I have to say, God, I realize the way that I have been walking. I now choose you. I'm sorry. I choose your way. I choose to go your way, to live your life, and to live with the life that you have given me. And so God justifies us. That is what it means. The moment we repent and we say, God, I turn because I'm alive. I now know this is the way of life. He says, okay, I, I, I forgive you. I justify you. I will say, God says to you that you no longer require to die. The punishment that you would do, Jesus took that. You're justified just as if you never did it. Wow. But then sometimes we stop there. Do we realize when God does not only forgive our sins, but he makes us righteous. Now, Jesus lived 33 years on earth. He lived it pure and holy. He did not sin. He was tempted. He suffered. And he had to live like that right up to the cross. So basically, what happens when God gives us the righteousness of God? God says, I will make you When I look at you, I'll make you like Jesus. So basically, he says, even though you're like ash, I will take you and give you the righteousness of Christ beyond where Adam and Eve were, because Adam and Eve still had to prove their obedience. And I'll take you beyond that, and I'll take you into favor with God. I will take you in the positive. And that's why scripture says that nothing can separate me from the love of God, because he has given me the righteousness of Christ, that I could not do this by myself, but he chose to make me like Jesus. And so I am made holy, like a matchstick that doesn't burn out. Because in the Old Testament, we see God's, God is so just that if we come into the presence of God and you haven't atoned and you haven't been covered by a blood of an animal, you die. But in the New Testament, because we come under the shed blood of Jesus into his new life, we can now come into the presence of God. Come on. I am made holy sanctified. That's what I mean. Sanctified. I'm set apart. I'm no longer dead like ash. I am a matchstick. <laughs> but do you know that God could have, God could have left it there? He could have gone, okay, you know, I've, I've sent my son. He's died for you, but there is more. He said, you, you can now come into my presence. You won't turn back into ash. <clears throat> you're holy. You're good. But then God chooses us again. He chooses to adopt us. He chooses to ignite us, to put his flame on us. It says in in Romans, this is so awesome, Romans 8 verse 15 to 16. So you have not received a spirit that has made you fearful slaves. That's what we are when we feel a bit ashy, we're feeling fearful. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own child. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. He didn't have to adopt us, but he said, I want to abide with you. I want to put fire on you so that we can commune and enjoy each other because I made you. You are unique. There is no one like you. I want to know you. I've got things for you to do. I want to be with you. And so we can hang out with God. He set us alight on fire. 
But then he doesn't stop there. He then dunks us in the Holy Spirit with oil that sets us aflame with the partnership that empowers us. We don't just burn, we are flammable. So when you face anything in your world and you go, God, this sickness, God, this fear, God, this job, God, this or the other, you have the fire of life and God in you because he atoned, he resurrected to regenerate you, to justify you, to sanctify you, to ignite you, and then to saturate you with himself because he wants to abide with you and this world needs to know his life. Say, I'm alive. I'm alive. Come on, not say it from your head. Say it from the fire in your belly. I am alive. So whenever the enemy tries to chuck lies at you, you say, I am a child of God. I am alive. And there's no fear, no sickness, no poverty or anything like that that can face you because you have the life and the wisdom and the empowerment of God in you. All you have to do is go and abide and his fire and his life in you will give you the instructions, the perspective, the vision, the prophetic word, because you can see you are alive in a world that is dark. You have the spirit of God in you. In those business meetings, in the hospital theater rooms, you can see because you have the fire of God in you. Come on. Yes. God chose you over and over and over. And now it's our turn to choose him. See, before Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame, he reminds him of his grandmother and his mother. You know, why don't you just, as I carry on, I think of, first of all, the time that you encountered God. And they think of the people who, you know, many of us are actually saved because of the prayers of our grandmothers and the prayers of our parents. And, you know, we've got people that we might look up to that are spiritual giants. And I think Paul is reminding Timothy, remember those giants in your life? Because the life that is within us is not just for ourselves. It's to share. And so I believe what Paul is saying, you know, I mean, he's saying to him, fan into flame your matchstick salvation flame into a bold bonfire. You have been saved. Your spirit is new. The flame within you is matchstick size. But recall the giant of faith that has gone before you. For us, that would be Smith Wigglesworth, the Wesleys, Catherine Kuhlman, all the revivalists. They have the same fire as you and I. The fire that we received as salvation is all that we need. The same fire that started a bonfire. Can you go to the next slide, Sammy? Next one. The same fire that started this bonfire was as small as a match. It's the same fire. It's just bigger. What made it bigger is what Paul instructed him to. But we got to realize when we, when we hear and see of, of people of faith that are bold and the presence of God is moving on their life, 
they started with just the same little matchstick faith that you and I have. But we can flame it, fan it into flame. There is more. Imagine walking into an airport like Catherine Kuhlman and the people are just like slain in the spirit. She hadn't even done anything. And they were like, Miss Kuhlman, can you please go outside the airport? Imagine how massive the fire of God in her life was to have such an impact to bring the presence of God to an airport. Imagine when you have a family reunion and people just keep asking about your faith and you have been praying for them for ages because there is a light and a life in you beyond yourself. I mean, I'm sick and tired of hearing about suicides because people are ashy. They don't know life. But you and I are selfish if we don't share that. Come on, there is life. You don't have to feel like you have to die. I don't want to hear of suicides anymore. And so you and I have to go and love and share the life within us. Imagine to see the end of slavery because we care about every life because God cares about every life. How much of the fire we have is dependent on how we build our fire. See, Paul said to him, fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. That's the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. And I believe the key is in that. What do we fan? I appreciate that as Christians, we can often have these, you know, little words that sound so lovely, but we don't actually know what to do with it. So how do I fan? Well, first of all, I apply. That's what the word fan means. In some sense, we're going to get there, but just the word fan means to apply. And then there's three things from that. Power, love, and a sound mind. There are three elements to a fire. I googled it. (laughs) I'm not a (laughs) professor. Fuel, oxygen, and heat. Who knew? Fuel. A log. You know, when you became a Christian, God, God he, he made you holy. He justified you. He gave you a little bit of his knowledge that he loves you and that you need him. That's a little bit of knowledge. We've got a whole Bible. There is so much more to know. That is why I love doctrine. It just gets me so fired up. I'm like, this is amazing. You and I have to go and study our word. And we have to go know more. We've got to stack the bonfire full of logs. But this is what happens. And to be honest, like, I'm, I'm challenged by this. And when I was you know, coming to this word and praying, Holy Spirit challenged me. And I was like, oh... I come on Sunday, and there is an awesome word. Let's say by Jared, or Chris, or Jonathan, Lamia, James. Awesome. It's like I get chucked this massive log on fire. And I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And then two weeks later, it's like, yeah, awesome. Doesn't really affect much of my life. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I've just confessed. Right, that happened to me maybe one Sunday. Um, but Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, I have put 
people who pray and who see God's word and revelation and they've chucked it to you and you've done nothing with it. If you've ever built a fire, then you will know if you just chuck a log on the fire, it will burn, but it will burn out. But most bonfires you see are a nice little triangular shape because they've been stacked that way. And so my challenge to you and I is that we have to take the word of God and we have to apply it to our life beyond a Sunday as well because we need a, a, a bonfire to be burning on our life so that when you know Sunday morning comes and there's a massive log chucked our way that we can just burn even more. See, it's, it's like my, my, my marriage with Steve. We did marriage prep. But we could have just left it there and then carried on in our marriage and, you know, done what we like. But I'm so grateful that we've applied the wisdom to our marriage because it's awesome. We've worked at it. We could have just left it. And then there's oxygen. Love and worship. Do you realize this morning when we were worshiping God, his fire was going crazy? Do you know the one thing that puts fire out the quickest? is if you deprive it from oxygen. So what's the one thing we do when the enemy has a bit of a go at us? I don't feel like worshipping. Or we hear from the platform, if you don't feel like worshipping, worship. Even if you don't feel like it. I found out last night on our date night that when Steve said, I love you for the first time, he didn't mean it. He just did it because he fancied me. (laughs) I was like, the first time he told me he loved me, you know, but he loves me now, and when he says that he means it, so I'll just say, keep worshiping God until you know it, and you feel it, and we'll let your fire burn. And it's more than love, it's obedience as well. See, God says, if you love me, you will obey me. God is not a taskmaster, remember, we're his children. When we obey him, we go on adventure with him. We go, God, you're so awesome, what do you want to do? So my challenge is, you know, I, I, I practice obeying God. So I'll go, right, God, what do you want me to take today? Take a nail clipper. I'm like, what on earth will I take? I need a nail clipper in my Mary Poppins handbag. I don't need another thing. Oh, a week later, I needed it. Let's practice. Let's go on adventure. Let's see what God wants to say in the small things so that we will know the weight of his word when he talks to us about the big things. Have fun. Come on. You have life in you. The greatest adventure of life is in you. Let's have fun. And then there's heat, the Holy Spirit and our relationship with him. We have to abide with God. That's why he did all of what he did. Enjoy his company. I love Steve. Sometimes we just spend time in the room together and we're just together. We haven't got much to say, but we're together. Keeps the heat going. It's good. (laughs) I did not say a thing. (laughs) So to conclude, see, God, and I've said this before, God has, he sets us a light to abide with us, but also because we need to get the message out. By coming, becoming God's children, we become his hands and feet on this earth. Wow, God trusts us. He has a lot of love. I, in the beginning, mentioned Peter's shadow. See, this shadow is evidence 
of the light on our life. The shadow is healing. The shadow is wisdom. The shadow is whatever you bring into the room when you enter it as a Christian. The fire on your life. See, you can't make yourself cast a shadow. You can't try and heal someone. It has to be because of the fire of God on your life. You cast a shadow so that others can have the opportunity to be regenerated, justified, sanctified, ignited, and saturated. Wow. What shadow do you cast? Do you have your faith only for yourself to enjoy it for you? That's great. But are you building a bonfire in your life to know more of God and to cast a bigger shadow? I loved being in the workplace. I work for church now. I still love working for church. But I love being there because people would just go, oh, when you leave, like, it's just not the same. I know I'm a nice person, but it's more than that. <laughs> what do people encounter when they encounter you? That is the shadow. Do they find hope and strength and encouragement? I had people say, oh, I need some of that power of prayer that you have. Someone who does not believe in God. I have a friend that they, um, I'm keeping it vague because I'm still journeying with them. Um, I've, they've kind of adopted me as their, their daughter and um, they by no means believed anything about God. God came up or the fact that I'm a Christian or the fact that I was training for minister and training, they just like shut the conversation down. Now... They'll be like, oh, yeah, we, we believe in something. Like, someone's looking out for you. And, you know, they went on holiday, and he's like, God, if you're real, heal this part of my body and that part of my body. And God did. They're on a journey. But because I've just loved and journeyed with them, I will say it's because of the life on me, because I can't make anyone believe in God, but only the fire and the love of God can make someone believe in him. I have another friend. I'm just watching time. Um, uh, we're a colleague. And uh, I was desperate, I always go, when I go home with my parents, I always visit friends and colleagues and try and make as much contact with non-Christians as I can. And I messaged her, I couldn't get hold of her, and I was on the train and I was about to get off the stop where I would, you know, where her workplace is. And I'm like, trying everything, can't get through to the office, nothing, literally the last stop. I'm like, this train's going to stop, I need to know whether I need to get off. She gets through to me, she's like, yes, let's meet for lunch. Now, before, weeks before I, I met up with her, I had this image of us sitting in a coffee shop, me holding her hand and praying for a very close family member that was really unwell. Anyway, I got off, like, panic, I made it, and I met with her, and we so happened to go to a coffee shop, and um, I said to her, oh, can, I, can I pray for that close family member? She's really private about it. And I said, can I hold your hand? And she's like, yes, you can. I said, I'm sorry, I can't not pray, because you know I've seen too many miracles. And she says... I know, and you know, this is a lady that she knows everything. We've had plenty of conversations during lunchtime. She's asked all the tough questions. And just uh, a few months ago, she said, oh, they were concerned that cancer would have spread. And um, fortunately, it hadn't, and it was just contained. And that is awesome, and I will thank God for that, because there was a grave concern that that cancer could have spread. But because of God's light in me, he gave me that picture to give me boldness to pursue. Even if I had to go back one stop on the train, I would have. And, and to reach out to her. And, and she knows. 
She knows. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. She knows that is God. And it brings her heart one step closer. And I'll, I'll close with, with this story. Um, I was in a, a pharmacy just this last few weeks, and um, I don't know if the gentleman is here. Um, I was in the little, you know, in the pharmacies in, the, in a supermarket. They've got those little chairs, and you sit there, and you look at all the um, medicines that you never knew they had things for those things. And um, I watched this pharmacist kind of, you know, do his thing, walking around the counter, and then an elderly lady came in for an appointment, because you can have appointments with pharmacists. And, um, you know, he welcomed her with the greatest smile. He's like, he had a bounce in his step. And this lady went in quite, you know, she looked quite down and concerned. And as I'm sitting there waiting, she comes out and she's like, you know, pushing her trolley with a new step. And anyway, the gentleman serves me and I, I go up to him and I go, thank you, sir. And we look at each other and I'm just about to say, tell him, God, there's something different about you. And he's like, I knew you. <laughs> I was like, Revive. <laughs> And uh, I was like, yes. And, but in my spirit, I was just sitting there minding my own business, people watching. And I saw something about this man. And I was like, wow, he's just made my day. And I haven't even spoken to him. The shadow of joy. But you know what? I'm not satisfied with that. All of these journeys that I'm taking with my friends, I want more. But God chose me and he gave me all the fire that I needed. And so it is my greatest delight to read my Bible, to hear sermons, to apply it, to worship him when I don't feel like it, and to abide with him and have him build the biggest bonfire in my life so that I can cast the biggest shadow of the cross on people around me. You can go to the last slide. So are you satisfied? Are you going to fan into fame the great I am who's in you? Do you want more? And if you don't want more, worship him until you want more. <sighs> read some revival stories. You know, get some testimonies. I was going online trying to read, find all sorts of stories. And I always say to Steve, oh, I haven't got any stories. He's like, you've got loads. But it's just because of God's goodness. And oh, there is so much he wants to do. But we're gonna, I'm going to just invite you in a moment. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. But first of all, why don't you stand where you are? After we, we worship, we'll, we'll take up the offering. And I'm just going to sing, I want us to sing the song, just have a moment. But first of all, I want you to come before God and say, God, will you remind me of how you saved me again? See, doctrine is very knowledgeable, but it only becomes powerful when it becomes your revelation. So why don't you put your hands out before yourself and go, Jesus, will you fan into fame? And then when you leave here today, make some conscious decisions as to how are you going to build your bonfire with logs? How are you going to blow oxygen on it with worship? And how are you going to abide with God? So we have an awesome church and God wants to do amazing things, but God needs us to be ready. No longer am I going to be a matchstick Christian, but I'm going to be an on fire, bonfire, bright, blazing child of God.